Open Championship Week is here. We talk about it a lot here on the First Cut Podcast with Kyle Porter. It is the week where Kyle's children put him to bed. And so as we record this on Monday afternoon, Kyle, I'll ask you if you flipped your schedule yet. No, I haven't. I need to. My wife uh, kindly and graciously was asking me earlier today, how can I help you this week? Oh. And I said, you yeah, it was great. But I was like, just make sure I'm going to bed. Because if I stay up until 11, 11.30, that, that does not bode well for Thursday and Friday. Um, but now I'm excited. Do you, does it feel to you like there's less um, kind of fanfare and hoopball going into this major than, than the first two, the Masters in the U.S. Open? Yes. And I, I think that that happens. And here's because, and I, to, I hope I'm not pulling back the curtain a little too far on this, but when you and I were talking about uh, preparation for this uh, about a week ago, a week or so, you know, the, the feeling of, of uh, being a little bit lost, not really sure what we're grabbing onto, not really sure what the stories or the angles are going to be for this year's Open Championship. And as I was uh, kind of kicking that around and doing my own preparation, I realized that so much of the way that I interpret the Open Championship, particularly in the middle and by the end of the tournament, is is kind of... Uh, a reaction to whatever happens on day one, you know, like I, I just, I find that, and some of it is that I'm not uh, awake for the, the first tee shot, but I always think that as a golf fan and as someone who, you know, helps you out when I can, when I'm not at media days, you know, I feel like I, I'm just sort of like, okay, so who of the top golfers in the world has responded well to the course and the conditions? Who of uh, the golfers that we were not expecting has risen to the challenge? And so in that way, there's just so much unknown because the weather and the course play such a big factor that it's always a wait and see for me because we just don't know exactly what the wind is going to be doing or how it's going to be playing until they get out there on Thursday. Yeah, I think it's I think that's a good point. I, I think it's the most ambiguous of the majors in terms of I, I mean, even in making my uh, like field rankings, I was like, I I have no idea. I mean, like you go into the Masters, you go into the U.S. Open, and you're like, okay, I I feel like I have a pretty decent grasp on who plays well at at either Augusta or the type of course that a U.S. Open uh, sets up as I guess Aaron Hills and and Chambers Bay are kind of outliers, but traditionally the type of course that you play to U.S. Open and I just I, I feel like <clears throat> we, we focus so much on the course at a U.S. Open and at an Open the course is more su- like the the course the way the course affects the field is more subtle and so there's not as much um, sort of excitement around it or fervor around it. Like there's not as much fervor around Carnoustie as there is Shinnecock. Uh, uh, and then, uh, I forgot what my, I forgot what the first point uh, I was making was, but <laughs> at, you add all that up and, uh, I, Oh, you said it was ambiguous. It, yeah. It's the most ambiguous. Like I, I just, there, there's no feel for who's going to play well because like you said, so much of it is dictated by the weather, um, you know, the, the course conditions, who gets the right side of the draw, all these different things. And so to me, it's kind of fun because it's, it's the one that I think there's, uh, I, I don't know if this is true or not. I, I think I want it to be true. And I think it might be true. It feels like it's the major where the focus is the most on the golf than, than any of the other uh, majors that are played. And I think that's awesome. And, and, and I think it's really a, uh, I don't know, it says a lot about 
the way that RNA sets everything up and uh, just kind of lets whatever happen happen. So it's a read it like that that falls into my general uh, initial thought is that it is it is read and react. Now that's not easy when you like Kyle Porter are responsible for churning out um, approximately 25,000 words of preview content. You can't just be like, well, we'll wait and see on Thursday to see how it goes. Like, but that is uh, a lot of, of the, the way that I approach this is I've got, you know, and we'll be making our picks here on this podcast and we're going to be publishing picks uh, either on Tuesday or Wednesday on cbsports.com. We have, we have names that we're picking, but you know, in my heart of hearts, I, I'm, I, I'm kind of expecting that on, uh, on Thursday morning, I'm going to wake up and, and we're going to already have the beginning of the storylines and the storylines are not going to be fulfilling all of the narratives that we had coming into it as much as they will be being written in real time. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's what I heard. There was this great, uh, there was a player that once said to a media member, I don't know who the player was, but I know who the media member was and I won't say his name, but he said, the player said, why do you guys even write anything after the first, second and third round? This is like a, it's like a basketball game. Like it's four quarters. Like you wouldn't see basketball media members write uh, all these articles after the first quarter of a game. And I, I thought that was pretty funny. And, and obviously we can't uh, do that. Like we have to write stuff after the first and second round, but you kind of extrapolate that out and it's like, okay, the Monday of an open, like what do, what do I know? Like I know the weather forecast and I guess I know, uh, who's played well at recent opens, but it just is, I, I don't know. Like it, it, I think it's I think it's the the major in which you're just the least sure of of how things are going to play out, which to me is exciting. And you know, if you look at the last five or six years, you've gotten some epic opens. I mean, you've gotten some unbelievable winners. Uh, the way they played out was awesome. So I I would expect uh, more of the same this year. All right, let's start with the course. Uh, you know, we yeah. said there's there are only but so many things we can hang on to, and there is one narrative <laughs> that it has already taken shape. Uh, it, it has been a, a baked out summer for Scottish golf. We saw it at the Scottish open, you know, we're getting 400, 450 yard drives. Uh, it's going to be firm. It's going to be fast. Uh, how, how do you take the, the knowledge of, cause there's going to be the way it looks, which is going to be just startling to the viewer, but in trying to understand what this means for the golfers, how does it change your expectations? Do you remember when uh, when now President Trump tweeted about uh, Pinehurst in 2014? Yes, I about, do. Do you remember about how brown it was? Yes. I can't imagine what his tweets are going to look like when he sees Carnoustie. I mean, but had, isn't Turnberry nearby? <laughs> Didn't he play there? I don't. I don't know how far Turnberry is, uh, but um, wh- sorry, I, I was just I. I, I had to get that out there. I don't even remember your question now. What was it? How, how do you take the the knowledge of what we're going to be seeing and, and apply it? Because you know, sure, if if the ball's going to roll forever, then you know we're going to have some some crazy drives and and some uh, some players that are going to have the opportunity to take chances. But how much about the course setup at Carnoustie is going to even yeah. allow you to to allow players to get aggressive? Because you've still got what no less than nine to 10 decisions or shots that you can make, even if you you know damn near drive the green, that doesn't even ensure that you're going to get a birdie. 
Yeah, I, I think I think what's going to be really interesting because I was looking back at the pa- the past uh, two opens here, so ninety nine and two thousand seven, and especially in ninety nine, and even in two thousand seven, it was so green. Like the fairways were green, it was lush, and the rough was really high. I mean, it was like you know, just kind of like the typical fescue you, you associate with an open or even a U.S. open. And I, I don't think you're going to see the same thing this year, but especially with the rough, I just don't think it's going to be as thick and as, you know, lush as it was at those, at those last two. But what, what's going to happen is you're going to get into situations in which because these fairways are like rock. I mean, I, I saw a video of Rory hitting a, um, hitting a ball on a, I think it was a par three and it was like, did any grass even fly up from his divot? Like it just looked like dirt or sand. I mean, it was crazy. Um, but what you're going to get is so much run out that you're going to get more balls that you're going to have guys having trouble, like stopping balls in front of bunkers or water. Uh, you know, the, the burn that kind of snakes its way down the last few holes. It's going to be I, guys are not going to know what to hit. I think with with the, especially if it's windy, it's just going to be like the decision making is going to be very different. And I don't know if it's going to be harder or easier. I don't know if this makes the course play easier because you can you can send it farther and you can maybe control uh, your shot shape a little better because you're hitting irons instead of drivers. Um, so that would seem to make it easier. But then when you talk about having to, to stop balls on that type of surface, that, I mean, that's going to be hard. And, yeah. and to stop it short of bunkers and to stop it short of greens, I, I just think that guys who are the most creative, and this is usually true of an open, I think the guys who are the most creative this week uh, with their long irons are, are going to really uh, have a lot of success. So then you, I think where, I don't know where you wrote this. I'm pretty sure you did. But uh like Tiger Woods, did Tiger Woods really win uh, an Open Championship without ever pulling driver out of the bag? One of his three. Uh, I think he hit like one driver. I can't remember where. I think it was Hoy Lake in two thousand six. So, so that was his most recent of the three uh, Open Championship wins. So like you you hear that and you hear you got to be creative and you got to be able to hit your irons and and that's and you know. The, to already venture off into the inevitable, you know, the thing every time that Kyle's on CBS Sports HQ and every single time that any sort of big national voice is going to be weighing in on this strange little golf tournament that's going on across the pond in the middle of media days. Like, it's the, the first question is going to be about Tiger Woods. So, you know, how do you, uh, how do you look at these signs that I say point to Tiger Woods being able to have uh, an opportunity to play well, but then also judge that against he is still competing against the rest of the field. Yeah, I, I think that, and I wrote this for CBS. I, I don't know if it's out yet by the time we we put this podcast out, but I think this tournament is, or I think this major is the one that he's most likely to win over the rest of the course of his career. And there are a number of reasons for that. I, I mean, I think that just generally as you get older, it's the ones that's easiest to win because of the type of things we're talking about. You don't have to be as long. Uh, but for Tiger right now, uh, length isn't really an issue. Obviously he's like top 30 on the PGA tour in terms of driving distance, but driving accuracy is an issue. And I think when you start to take driver out of his hands and put, 
iron and, uh, you know, like a two iron or a three, he was playing with a driving iron. I saw Jonathan wall tweeted that out. I mean, that's a big deal. And you know, the PGA tour doesn't keep, uh, stats in terms of like, uh, your driving distance and accuracy with irons versus drivers. But I just anecdotally, I take, I take tiger with the driving iron over most of the guys in the field, right off the yeah, tee for sure. I, I just think, I, I think the issue is still, is is his game generally sharp enough? Because I think we saw at Shinnecock, he didn't really drive it that bad, but he just he wasn't sharp. And at a major, that gets exacerbated, right? Mm-hmm. And so I I were I, I think he's gonna drive it pretty well, but it's like, okay, if you're even if you're driving it well, uh is your is your wedge game sharp enough? I think it is, but then we saw at the US Open that it wasn't. So I just I think there are a lot of questions about just the sharpness of his game in a major over the course of four days. It's kind of like the problems I have with Phil uh, right now, but like to a, to a lesser degree, I'm not as, I I don't think I'm as worried about Tiger's issues as I am Phil. So you right now, if I was to say Tiger against Phil, who do you think has the lower score? Who are you taking? Definitely Tiger. Wow. Yeah. You're really raining on because I I was going to come into this podcast really ready to force the Phil's going to win in honor of our good friend friend of the podcast Sean Martin. <laughs> I just his last month has been not good. I mean he he played poorly at Greenbrier. Uh, then he missed the cut at the Scottish Open. He's just I mean. Other than the one iron that made everybody weep on golf Twitter. Oh, <laughs> as soon as the, it, <laughs> who the was the commentator who just, ugh. <laughs> was it Frank Navalo? I think it was. Oh man. That's great. Golf channel. Had yeah. It. But yeah, it was, it was, that was awesome. But I just, uh, I don't know. I, I don't, I just don't think Phil's playing very well right now. I think it would be, I, I would be stunned if he contended or, or one uh, at Carnoustie this week. Really? Yeah. I mean, I mean, I guess I wouldn't be stunned. I mean, he's one of his top 20 in the world, but just the, just the, his form coming in and you look back at 2013 when he wins the open at, uh, at Muirfield, he came into that having just won the Scottish open. I just feel like he, I feel like it, the older he gets, the more it matters how on form he is at, at any given moment going into an event. Like I just, I, I don't feel like it's like Spieth or JT or somebody like that where they can just kind of turn it on for a tournament. I, I maybe that's true. Uh, I, I'd, I'd probably have to go back and look at like each one of his tournaments that he's played over the last few years, but it doesn't seem like it's true going into this tournament. Because I, I think about the the creativity. I think about. Um, the success that he's had at this championship before, uh, I want to make it happen. I want to believe that it can happen. I, I still am probably going to name this podcast. Will Phil win it? I hope oh, that's you should. A- okay. I hope that's okay. Yeah, no, you definitely should. Okay. I'm probably going to have to drop him from my, uh, my British open pool though. You've definitely talked to me off that ledge. Well, yeah. And I say all this and he's finished you know, he wins in 13. He finishes second in 16. Which he basically uh, gets half of a claret jug for that one. Yeah, he should. Like, if, if we're talking about giving away two jackets for certain masters, he gets the handle of a claret jug for yeah. going back and forth with Stinson. 
He should get Jimmy Walker's PG. He should get Jimmy Walker's Wanamaker from that year. Um, Have y'all started talking about uh, <laughs> just taking back certain majors and awarding them to other people? <laughs> <laughs> no, but that that's a phenomenal idea. Uh, that's a great conversation topic for sure. Yeah, it is. Uh, he's 10th or excuse me, he's uh, top 10. He's ninth in strokes gained overall. But here's the thing. Since he won in Mexico, he has uh, one top 10 finish. So that was uh, Wells Fargo. Finished 36th at the Masters. That stunk. Uh, missed the cut at the players. That really stunk. He almost shot 80. And then he finishes T48 with an 81 at the U.S. Open. So I just don't know what I'm supposed to do with this string of you know, finishes that he's had over the last – not even months, but really like three months since winning in Mexico. Why? And to your point, uh, when I was calling my shot with him to win in Mexico, it was because he had been, been playing great golf because he was surging with confidence and because he was telling everybody who had talked to him, he's like, I'm playing really well. It's going to happen soon. You know, like he, yeah, it, there, it hasn't been there right now at all. And yeah. He finished T five, T two and T six leading into Mexico. Um, to your point about being able to just turn it on, this is a fascinating spot for Jordan Spieth, the defending champion, you know, the incredible win a year ago. Now he's coming in at a, a place where I, I think that I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but I will say that it feels like even though Jordan Spieth Maybe I guess he had had the the whole out win at that point before the British Open. But even without the even without a win, it feels like Jordan Spieth is not playing at a level that makes you think that this is going to be the turn it on and go win it moment. Like this just does. How about this? I'm willing to say that just doesn't feel like the season for Jordan Spieth right now. Yeah, which is which is actually the reason that I'm picking him. <laughs> <laughs> to win? Yeah, back to back. Uh because it what just because like all of a sudden uh everything clicks for him? What's it, Yeah, it, I Explain. Yeah, so so I was I, I wrote a long thing about <laughs> I really might have written twenty five thousand words, but I wrote a long thing about Speeth for CBS Sports. I think it's going up on Tuesday or Wednesday. And uh, he's not played well this year. He's 175th in putting, which is horrendous. Uh, but he's 14th from tee to green, uh, which is really good. It's actually not great for him, but it's still very good. And I just think that, you know, he, he talked about this on Monday at Carnoustie. He was like, I just, I just needed to get away. And so he takes three weeks off after the travelers doesn't play golf. Doesn't do just, uh, I I, I don't know how much golf he played, but he got away from it. And I think that that is good for him. I just think he starts, you know, and the line that I used in there, there was a great, um, line that Rory used in an interview with golf week. He said, I don't think 18 year old Rory would want to possess the knowledge that I have now as a 29-year-old because he played Carnoustie when he was 18. And that's such a fascinating statement to me. And, and I think it can be interpreted a number of, of different ways. Uh, and I, and I, think what, I think what 
Rory meant in that is just that as an 18 year old, as a 19 year old, as a 20 year old, you just want to go play golf and you don't want to be thinking about all these different things. Mm. And there, there's a sort of, there's a sort of trade off that as the older you get, the more wisdom and knowledge you sort of accumulate. Uh, but it can also make you start thinking, just overthinking things. And I think that's what happens with, uh, and I think also when you're 18, you can't, like your mind just can't handle all of it. Like you, like you need to be one track, like just kind of like DJ still is like, just go play golf. Right. Um, and I think as you get older, your mind expands and is able to sort of encompass, uh, all of that information. But I think that, I think that that's something that Spieth, I don't know, like it, he just struggles with, like he just, he just starts thinking so intensely and deeply and intimately about every aspect of his game that it's like, bro, you're like the most creative shot maker on the planet. Like just go hit the ball, you know? And, and I think that, so all that to say, I think it's good for him to hit the reset button every once in a while. And I just think that, and he talked about this a little bit and I wrote this with, before I saw that he talked about it. I think opens are, are, they reward guys who have old souls and who are creative and imaginative and uh, he is that type of player and person. And I just, I, I think getting back to that type of game will be, I think it'll be really good for him. Now, will he putt? I don't know. Can he, can he putt right now? I don't know. I don't know if that's, I don't know how real that issue is. It's been ongoing all year. It hasn't been great. It hasn't gotten better. Yeah. I just, I just think that, uh, you, you add all that stuff up. I just, and, and there's a part of, there's an intangible in there that I just think he's an all timer. And I mentioned this when I picked him for the travelers a few weeks ago, I think all timers always figure it out, especially at that age. Um, but I don't know there's a sense of like, he's not, a naive 20 year old anymore, just taking the world by storm. Like there's an innocence loss there that he has to figure out how to balance having all this knowledge and wisdom and, and having accomplished almost everything with, um, just a, a, a an ability to go out there and be, and be naive on the course and just, and be creative and be imaginative that you, I think you lose some of that as you get older and uh, I, I hope that he doesn't. I don't think that he has. And I think it might take a return to a place like Scotland to kind of regain it. Boy, there's going to be a lot of... I, I feel like Jordan Spieth has a lot... Has like, if you were to take all the golfers and, and look for their uh, like target demographic of their, you know, their biggest fans, I think Jordan Spieth's biggest fans are 45 to 70. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe even 50 to 70. And that that just seems to me like a lot of 19th hole chatter about how proud they are of that old soul going out there and getting his putter back at Carnoustie. Yeah, I described him as a 50-year-old a with a 60-year-old swing and a 20-year-old's body with a 10-year-old's imagination. <laughs> In the piece? Yeah. Oh, that's killer. That's, and I that's just, really good. I, and I think that's part of what makes him so great. Like nobody, very few golfers have that uh, kind of combination. And maybe I'm projecting and maybe not all of that is reality, but that's just sort of how I think about him right now. Uh, on the other side of the marketing demographic is Rory McIlroy, uh, the, <laughs> the low amateur here in 2007 
the uh, this this is going to be a tournament where on its face, um, I I said I was the one of my only certainties that I had a couple weeks ago before I really got deep into preparation was that I knew I wasn't going to pick Rory to win. I said just didn't seem like this was going to be the time to do it. Uh, you dig in a little deeper and there's reasons to like him. Mm, I know. I, I don't, I don't think he's going to win. Uh, I just, uh, you know, we talked about this after the U S open, like firm and fast at the toughest course in the, in the open Rota does not scream. <laughs> Rory's going to win his fifth major. I, I just, it just doesn't. But if you look at the last five opens, He's played in four of them. He missed St. Andrews uh, after the football injury in 15. And he's finished in the top five in three of them, including a win in 14 at Hoylake. And so it it was so weird to dig into all the numbers because guys started popping up that I was like, am I really going to pick that guy? Like I had Mark Leishman as my my most likely to win the golf tournament when I was ranking, ranking the field. That's, because his numbers are at at the open are just staggering. I mean, he's top five in in three of his last four, and or top six in four of his last. I don't I don't remember what it was, but uh, him, Sergio, Rory, they've all been awesome at opens. And and Rory is just not somebody I would have I would have given you Leishman and Sergio as guys that I thought had played well at opens, but I I wouldn't have said that about Rory, and yet. He's been great. I just don't think that this course setup really, really benefits him. Do you, but I don't think he's going to win. But I, after digging in, I feel like I've got more confidence that he he's going to be there. You know, like I I might not uh, be awake early enough in time to see him on Sunday, but he'll be playing on Sunday. <laughs> yeah, I I think so. Um, I do think it's actually to his disadvantage that the course is uh, playing, I guess it's playing shorter because, yeah, because everything's running out because he wants it to play as long as possible because he wants to hit driver. He wants everyone to have to hit driver on every hole because that's his advantage, right? Oh, yeah. He's he's Mr. Nah, let's definitely play it from the championship tees. Yeah, like like – Rory wins more often if a if a course is eleven thousand yards than if it's five thousand. Right. <laughs> and so, an eleven thousand yard course would be amazing. By I know. I, I just sat here. I was like, so how many par fives? Okay. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, pars are relevant, but um, yeah, it's just it's not like I don't see Rory just banging two and three irons around Carnoustie and and you know shot shaping his way to a, a win. I would be I would write 25,000 words on that alone if he did, but I just don't see it happening. Uh, if you need to work on your game, you're probably not preparing for the Open Championship, but you may be preparing for uh, a local uh, local open tournament of sorts uh, around your neck of the woods and at top golf they do lessons differently they got certified instructors who not only help you improve your game but they want you to have a great time too so sip snack swing and play better with top golf coach so here's the way you do it you can get up with one of these certified instructors by going to topgolf.com slash lessons once again that's topgolf.com slash lessons 
Book a lesson today with one of Top Golf's certified instructors. All the amenities, you still get to enjoy those, uh, but you also are going to get some great instructions on how to shave some strokes off your game. Go to topgolf.com slash lessons. Enjoy Top Golf and get better today. Um, as we sort of scan some of the other top names, the I I feel the same way about not being ready to jump on board with Rory as I do with Brooks Kepka, but yet every single time that I've not brought myself to jump on board with Brooks Kepka, he has made me eat my words. Should I be convinced otherwise? Uh, I like Kepka this week. Wow. Now he's another guy who it's not great if you're taking driver out of his hands. Um, but man, his consistency in the last, he hasn't missed a cut in the last 15 majors. And in the last 13, he has, let's see, 12 top twenties. Jeez. I mean, that's, that's staggering. He's yeah. finished uh, top 10 in each of his last two opens. Now, I don't think those were as, as firm and fast as this one is, but Shinnecock was pretty firm and fast and he seemed to be fine there. So, I'm I'm in on Kepka. He he uh I think he'd be the first guy since Tiger in 2000 to go open open the summer double. Uh Tiger did it at Pebble and St Andrews. Uh but Shinnecock Carnisti would be would be pretty tasty as well. That would be uh what about DJ? Nah, I'm out. I uh, by the way, I was thinking about this this morning. I tweeted this out. Zach Johnson has as many majors as Dustin Johnson and Adam Scott combined. I was talking to my, I was talking to my wife about this at lunch and I told her that stat and she was like, are you serious? If you watch Adam Scott and Dustin Johnson swing and you watch Zach Johnson swing, you're like, how is that? How does the stat compute? Yeah. But when I was talking about, you know, this tournament, this is where I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm in on Zach Johnson as a sleeper. Oh yeah, I, I agree. I'm just I'm just talking like from a high level about like it's weird that to me that DJ like guys like DJ and Adam Scott they look they appear prolific and they've had great careers and they've contended at a ton of majors and so it's weird to me I guess just sort of if you just throw that stat out there I'd be like oh wow like that's it just it just seems like a crazy stat and it kind of is right. Um, not only based on the way they swing and hit the ball, but based on the the careers that they've had. Adam Scott and Dustin Johnson have had great careers, uh, but they they both only have one major, which is just uh, insane to me. But no, I don't like DJ this week. He hasn't played that great at recent opens. I think he's only got one top ten in his last four or five. I really thought his open experience was sort of. I thought 2015 was a great microcosm for his open experience. He has 69, 65, I think, in the first two rounds at St. Andrews. Looks like he's just going to obliterate the field. And then he shoots 75, 75 on the weekend. And you're like, what are, what are we doing here? Like, what, how, how does this happen? And so I just, I, I don't know. I don't trust him at an open, I guess. What about uh, Sergio Garcia? Uh, well, he's not playing very well. He's got in his last six PGA tour events, he's got a one T 70 and five missed cuts. Mm. So not I great. don't really, 
No, but he does have two top 15s uh, on the European tour. So I don't know. I just, I bank on his, he's in my top 10 of most likely to win because I bank on his history at opens. He's got 10 top 10s at open championships. He's a runner up, obviously, in 2007. Sorry, what'd you say? I was just going to say, including at Carnoustie. Yeah, including Carnoustie. And uh, I just, I can't get, I can't get beyond the his ability to shape the ball at a at a open light course like i just i think it's i think it's paramount and i think he does it as good if not better than anybody in the world like he 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 is an old soul in now finally an old man's body (laughs) yeah that's true that's great um you you wrote that it might have been a misconception that ricky fowler is is always on for the opens. Uh, isn't that a narrative that we've been pushing ourselves? Yeah. And like, I feel like I do this every year where I'm like, oh yeah, Ricky in the open, Ricky in the open. And then you look at the numbers and you're like, nah, no, he's been okay. Right. You know? Not great. I mean, like he's been no. good, but not stellar. No, like he's got a couple top tens, but then like last week you watch him at the Scottish open and you're like, wow, looks like he could win an open, you know? So I, I don't know. That's it. Sorry, I had to sneeze there. I'm back. Um, (laughs) I I thought you were just firmly putting your foot in the ground on Ricky (laughs) Fowler with an I don't know. (laughs) No, I I got I hit the the dump button in time for my sneeze. Um, Yeah, I just uh, it's so it's so easy to imagine him winning one of these, and maybe that's just my bias or my uh, like we we see him a lot he's on tv a lot because he's one of the he's one of the 12 he's one of the dirty dozen he's one of the one of the stars exactly he he's one of the 12 that matter but the reality is that he's like the least accomplished of the 12 and so i don't know like those two things are just kind of hard to reconcile right Uh, but the stuff that he's done is is kind of memorable, right? Like we remember him and Sergio trying to run down Rory in 14. We remember the players championship. We remember the final putt at Augusta this year to, to finish second. Like even his, his, you know, we remember uh, Pinehurst where he played so well, but then he finishes like 15 strokes behind Martin Keimer. Like I just feel like the stuff he he's done has sort of stood out that maybe it gives us a perception that he's at, perf, that he's performed better than he actually has in some of these majors and specifically in the open. I mean, his, his finishes have been, he's been fine, but he hasn't been better than like, he hasn't been better than Kepka. Yeah. You know, he, ha- he hasn't been better than Jason day. I mean, he, well, maybe he's been better than day, but he hasn't been better than like DJ or Justin Rose or somebody like that. So I, I don't know. It, it is, you watch him like at a Scottish open though, like last week. And it's just so easy to imagine him winning because of the ball flight, because he's so patient and so tough. And especially at a place like Carnoustie, it just, it seems like it would all fit together Uh, and maybe it will, but uh, he's going to have to go and do it. What about, uh, you just mentioned Justin Rose. I think Justin Rose has been moving uh, up and up in the world golf rankings. He's what number two or number three right now. Um, I, I think I imagine Justin Rose as a world class golfer. I 
am not sure. Like I should be able to say Justin Rose is the number three golfer in the world and not think too much about it. But still there's a, a little bit of me that looks at him and I'm, I'm kind of curious, is this a moment of he's just playing really good golf right now and maybe now is a time where he feasts? Uh, how do you sort of judge where he's at in this season and the expectations for Carnoustie? Yeah, I mean, I just I, I have a lot of confidence in him. I don't know if that's misplaced uh, because he hasn't really been very good at opens. He's got one top ten as a pro, uh, but until fifteen at St Andrews, his best finish ever was that T four in nineteen ninety eight at Bergdale when he was an amateur. Wow! And it seems like he should be really good at opens because he's so solid. He's so consistent. Uh, he's got such a just go to swing. Uh, but he, he just hasn't been, I mean, he's T 22 and 16 T 54 last year. It's just like, does any of this like really set up for him to win an open? And I don't know, maybe, maybe I give too much weight to how players have played it at opens in the past. Um, but when you have that, I mean, when you have the history that him and Sergio have at an open, is it easier to imagine Sergio winning one or Justin Rose? It's far easier for me to imagine Sergio winning one because he has 10 top 10s. It's just like automatic that he's going to be in the mix. And with Rose, it's it's not. What about uh, like a Paul Casey? That was a player where, um, you know, if you're looking at English players who, who are going to potentially have a, a big moment here, that was one where I was like, man – that that could be not a sleeper pick to win because he's one of the top 10, 15 players in the world, but certainly a player I'm keeping an eye on. Yes. I think that it gets difficult with somebody like Paul Casey who's won two, uh, two PGA Tour events. That you're like, the question you have to answer is, Paul Casey, two-time winner on the PGA Tour, going to go out in the midst of this just a loaded up field at the toughest golf course in maybe in of any major championship venue and beat all these guys. He might, but it's going to, it's going to take like probably his best week ever at a major to do it. And so you get past like the, the eight or the 12 or whatever. And it's it, like, like I don't think Jordan speed has to play the best week of golf of his life to win this open. Paul Casey But I do does. think that I do think that about Paul Casey. I think that about Alex Noren. I think that about Thomas Peters. And so those guys, they have something to, uh, like they have something to pr- prove. Like they have to get to a place that I don't know if they've ever been to before to win the tournament. And so that's why it's just. Could it happen? Sure. They're in the field. Absolutely. It could happen. But is it going to, I don't know. What about for Tommy Fleetwood? Uh, course record holder, Tommy Fleetwood. Mm, 63 at, at the Dunhill links last year. Uh Oh, he's another guy. He's like Fowler. It's so easy to imagine him winning an open Tommy Elitewood. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I just, Ah, it, it just seems like I, I don't want to use the word inevitable because I don't think he's that good, but it, it just seems like between the ball flight and he, he's got such a great attitude for opens, both U S and, uh, British. Like he just, nothing gets him down. Like he's just always, you know, happy go lucky Tommy. 
And, uh, yeah, I mean, I think he's, I think he, he's certainly among like my top eight or nine in terms of who I think could win. We, uh, who do you think ends up finishing, uh, has a better finish, Justin Thomas or Patrick Reed? Uh, I, I have to go with Patrick Reed just based on, Patrick, uh, JT Patrick Reed is, might be an elite major championship golfer right now. Three straight top fives in majors, uh, played pretty well at the Scottish open last week. I, it, it's, it's tough to reconcile. It really it is. Really like, is. Ha- <laughs> I, I have a hard time with it in my head. Like I don't have a hard time with him like parading down the streets of Paris, like with in his green jacket, but I do have a hard time, uh, reconciling the fact that he's him and Brooks Koepka are like the two most consistent, best major players right now. I mean, it's great. Like, and then it's, it's great for the Ryder cup narratives for sure. I mean, that's like, that's one thing where we're in this era, uh, leading into the highly anticipated 2018 Ryder cup, where the, the run of American golf has been really, really fun to watch. But the fact that Patrick Reed is at, at sort of the top of the mountain right now also means that there's a lot of other players that I would expect to be there who aren't. Does that mean that there's something that's not clicking elsewhere? Or is this really just Patrick Reed becoming the player that he's always believed he's been? I think it's the latter. I mean, speaking of the Ryder Cup, I was going back and looking at kind of the American dominance. So uh, the U.S. has won... I shouldn't say the U S it's not a team event. Players from the U S have won the last five majors. You have to go back to, I think it's 1981, 82 for the last time the U S or players from the U S won six in a row. So if somebody from, if somebody from the U S wins this open, that'll be six. And then they haven't done seven in a row since like uh, 1974 to 77. And that was a streak of like 13 in a row, but that was, like that was a different time. Like you didn't have like golf wasn't what it is now. And so I think you could argue if the if if somebody from the U.S. wins this Open and the PGA and they take seven straight into the Ryder Cup, that it's the best run of American golf at major championships in the modern era. And and so I think like that's that's such a sub. Uh, not a subtweet, sub, but like a we're not, no, it's a sub story. Like oh, it's okay. not, it's not a, it's not a primary storyline. But if you get to the Ryder Cup and you and your side has won seven in a row, then it becomes a primary storyline. So I, I think that's one of the fascinating parts about, and of course we're talking about Patrick Reed. We have to talk about the Ryder Cup. But I think that's one of the fascinating parts about these last two majors for me is if let's say Fowler wins the Open and uh, JT repeats at the PGA. That that team room, uh, let's see who. Uh, yeah, that team room will have the last seven major trophies, which is crazy. It is crazy. And Just, Justin Rose was talking about that last week at the Scottish Open. He's like, yeah, I mean, it. He, he sort of insinuated like this isn't a like there's it's not a competition between countries. These are indiv- yeah, this is an individual sport. It's not like you yeah, win like, and your whole country gets to cash a check. Yeah, but he was like. It's not like you want to have won a bunch of majors going into the Ryder Cup. Like you want that confidence. You want the like you don't want Patrick Reed 
drinking from Ricky Fowler's Claret Jug on the streets of Paris the night before. Well, maybe you do want it the night before, but the the week of the Ryder Cup, if you're the European side, and that's where a couple tournaments from that actually happening. Uh, Justin Thomas or John Rom? Rom. Is that the he he's got all the shots bet? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, he finished uh, fourth at the Irish Open a couple weeks ago. Um, yeah, I just, there's no, I don't, there's no place that I think Rom isn't capable of winning. Now, am I excited about like him facing a baked out course where he might see some bad weather? No, because that can go sideways for him in a hurry. Uh, but the weather wasn't great at the Irish Open last year, and he ended up winning that. So, uh, oh man, the second that a ball rolls into the bunker, he's gonna <laughs> be so mad. <laughs> the yeah, the second that it rolls into the water, the second that mm, he can't hold yeah, a he can't hold a green. Yeah, well, there's a there's a green that Spieth mentioned. I think it's six. Or maybe eight. There's a par three where he said he was told you can hit the green, and it can still end up out of bounds. Can you imagine if Rom did that? He's I I have gone in the last. See, I guess it's uh, so this has been about a five month journey for me in my analysis slash fandom slash intrigue into John Rom uh, potential so potential like Hall of Famer, right? Just based oh, yeah. on like yeah, talent alone, sure. uh, I just I think that we're in the lunatic period of his career. Oh, I'm I'm here for that certainly. Like I I think that we've got uh, we've got a little bit longer to dwell in the lunatic period before he gets to have the redemption. You know, he's really matured. He's learned how to calm his uh, his nerve his. It out, his his outbreaks on the golf course. He's he's really learned a lot about himself. And then once we get over that hump, then the wins are just gonna stack, stack, and stack from there on out. Well, I, I feel like every tournament he he switches back between like I'm just gonna be myself this tournament, and then the next tournament he's like, you know what? I'm gonna try to really rein in the anger management and real. You know, I'm really striving, and it's like, well, just I don't care really which one it is. Let's just pick one and right. just go with it. You yeah, know? I don't, I don't, I don't, I haven't seen, I have not seen across four days of golf enough consistency in that management of uh, his emotions to believe that at Carnoustie, this is where it's gonna pop off. Yeah, that, that's that's probably fair. That's probably more accurate than me saying he can win on Mars. Let's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> well, see. The the problem is Mars has a real risk reward where it comes to, uh, you know, the long par fours. Can you imagine Bryson on Mars? Yes, because that's where he is. Most of the, <laughs> the time. Air in his den- head. The air, the air density. Uh, who's uh, Bryson playing with? Uh, we got Bryson, Sergio, and Shubankar Sharma. Oh my goodness! The greatest group. By the way, kudos to the RNA and Augusta National. I I love that they don't have the mega uh, feature groups like the Rory, JT, Tiger group. I don't I don't think I want it. I don't want it either. Like I'm I'm good with spacing out the stars and superstars 
throughout the course of the day between games one and game 52 uh, that tees off on the first hole. Yeah, you can put uh, who's Rory? I think Rory's playing with a leashman. Put Rory and leashman together. It's great. But then throw in Thorborn Olison. Put um, Fowler's with somebody. Fowler might be with Rom. Uh, and then throw in uh, Chris Wood. Yeah, great. Like I don't need Fowler, Rom, and Phil. You know, like you do two or three or whatever, but space them out. I like that. That's good. It's a good thing. It's a great thing. Uh, all of the fantastic content. Again, I say it every single major, but I do mean. Oh, wait! Before we get out of here, so your pick to win is Spieth. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> I haven't. We haven't turned in our, our official picks yet. If you want to waffle on this, that's fine. Because throughout the process of these last forty eight minutes, I've been constantly updating my pool submission in real time. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna go Spieth to win. I'm. I'm just gonna. I'm gonna own it. I'm gonna go with it. I'm going to go uh, Leishman as my top 10 lock. And then I got to get back to you on a sleeper. I haven't, I haven't gone deep on it yet. I'm going to go Fleetwood to win Sergio top yes. 10 lock Zach Johnson sleeper. What's what are Zach Johnson's odds? Oh, is he like 80 to one? I guess we have to go hundred or one or longer to get there. No, no, no. That's I think 80 is fine. I just didn't know. That surprises me that they're that low. Yeah, he was at 80 when I was wow. looking at golf odds. What was it, yesterday? Yeah. Do you know what Phil is? Yeah, 60. Yeah, 66. This is Bovado. Zach is 100 to 1. Wow. That's deep. I might I might go uh, Lee Westwood as my sleeper at 125. Oh, Lee, Lee Westwood at 125 is value. Yeah. Yeah, that, that feels. I feel good about that. Dustin Johnson's just bad investment. Yeah, twelve to one. Get out of here with that. Yeah, he'll, he'll probably win, he'll probably win by like six. <laughs> uh, you can get Xander at one fifty. Mm. See, this is this is where I've got to turn your own theory back at you. Do you think Xander Shoffley has to play the best golf of his life to beat this field at Carnoustie? Mm, yeah, I don't know. It's a good, it's a good point, but I also don't think Xander should be 150 to one. Right. Okay. So in terms of like value, you're just calling your shot there. I yeah. Mean, yeah, Le- yeah. Leishman at 40 to one is candy. Yeah, that's, that's free money. Um, barn rat at 200 is tasty too. I would, <laughs> I would, I want to get in on that. What is the, uh, what what does the wait barn rat vapes right or is that yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. so what is yeah, the RNA's uh, stance on vaping? <laughs> They're not gonna rule on that for like twenty more years. Dude. Yeah, it we're, has, we're we're still we're still deciding on stuff from like the late eighties. Yeah, and uh, after just being over on the other side of the pond, they still love their cigarettes. <laughs> yeah, and by the way, I was reading about Hogan's win in 53 at Carnoustie. He went over two weeks early because he had to get used to a new ball. Like the the RNA made you play with a smaller ball what? than they played with in the U.S. In- insanity. This was only like 80 years ago. Though, 70. to be fair, given how crazy the world of golf is 
It's amazing that we don't have these guys doing that. Yeah, I know. Like that's, that would be like, great. People that want to roll the ball back are just going to be like, I mean, look, Ben Hogan won and he had to get used to it. Well, that I mean, that's sort of the case for like people have sort of propped up one of, as Jeff Shackelford calls them, like the five families, like the uh, the Augusta, the USGA, the RNA, and what is it, PGA and PGA Tour. I think that's the five. Like if Augusta next year is like, yep, uh, you're going to play the Augusta National Golf Bowl, guess who is attending the Masters? Everybody? Literally, ev- literally everyone. Yeah. And so, and so these people have been calling for like some of these organizations that hold so much power to just do that. Now there are lots of implications and, and a lot of fallout that could come from that. But I think that, and, and it's hard because there's no consolidation of power. Everybody's sort of just, it's anarchy half the time, but like everybody's just doing their own thing. And so it makes it hard. But I, I think that that's, uh, I think that's going to be really interesting to, to keep an eye on in the future. Okay. And one more thing before we get out of there, has golf gone soft? <laughs> uh, what do you mean? I don't know. That was such a, like, of course golf is soft, right? Oh Yeah. Yeah, it's good. Somebody did somebody bring this up? Was this a thing? I think this has been a thing. Oh yeah. I mean, it's a country club sport. Like, what do people expect? Yeah. Um, yeah, Alan Shipnuck wrote it for this month of golf, whatever. Oh, the Sherman thing. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. The, the entire it was it was that the the stars at the top are soft, the sport itself is soft. Nobody. Yeah, I mean, well, you, here's the thing. Like, in what in what industry have you infused billions of dollars and it hasn't gotten more coddled or softer? I mean, it's it's just a natural progression, right? Yeah. Thank thank you for a level headed analysis of it. <laughs> because he he was even throwing out the uh, like. I don't even need to hoof it to the closest sprinkler head because I've got the lasers that'll tell me exactly how far I am and the yardage books that they've got on the greens and backstopping and all these guys go on vacations together. The golfers used to want to kill each other. It's golf. Yeah. I don't, I don't care about any of that. Like the, the being friends stuff and whatever, like I just, I don't. I just want to watch good golf. I I have always viewed golf as a social sport. Like I, I go back to the so fourteen, uh, Spieth and Bubba final round Augusta. It was a gr- great cro- quote from Spieth about how like they were talking throughout the front nine, and then he was like, "Then we got to the tenth tee and we didn't talk again the rest of the round." And it's like, yeah, that because you're playing the back nine at Augusta on a Sunday for a green jacket. So like be friends the other 364 days or whatever. But yeah, if you're like, I guess, I don't know, yucking it up. And that, and that, that's, that was my favorite part about like the 14, uh, PGA when Rory was all pissed off about Phil and, and Fowler like high fiving during the final round. That's great. Yeah. Be pissed off. You should be like, that's, that's awesome. And then you go out and just vaporize everybody down the stretch. <laughs> on a necky three wood on the 10th hole. 
that led to Eagle. I mean, yeah, like that, that stuff is, is Wait, are, you, are you like, are you talking about the John Deere classic dressed up as a PGA championship? Hall? Okay. Let's <laughs> take it easy. Sean. Let's take it easy, Sean. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, if you want to go to Baker's Bay or whatever, I don't, I don't care. Like, I just don't care about any of that stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know if I need you like backstop, backstopping on the 17th at Carnoustie with a two shot lead. Yeah. Uh, funny stuff. Great stuff. Always go to cbssports.com before a major because no one's got you covered with more comprehensive information. Uh, it is what I enjoy, is what I read, it's what I use, and it's what you should too. So uh, thank you, Kyle, not only for your time here today, but for all of your effort churning out thousands and thousands of words. Uh, I know that it takes a lot out of you, and uh, you just, you know, now you get all the the luxuries of flipping your body clock around for the next week. So <laughs> we need a, we need a coffee sponsor. We need a coffee company to reach out and be like, here, just take all of our goods. That's a great amazing. idea. Um, and yeah. if you contact me, you can get at me at chip <laughs> underscore Patterson. I'll get you Kyle's address and you can send him all the coffee. Uh, or you can DM <laughs> him yourself. He is at Kyle Porter CBS. Kyle, thank you very much. Thanks, Chip. Talk to you next week.